Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a business, I've met many, many successful people, entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes a person successful? Do we know what success is? And the all-important question, can we create success for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. Originally from New Zealand, Evan Maindonald moved to the UK in 1992. Following a career in the technology industry, he set up his property development and investment company Melt Homes in 2002. This move has proved to be a very wise one as he has since built 200 properties within his portfolio to a value of £22 million and boasts an investment property portfolio of over 50 properties across London, Gloucestershire and Kent. As well as his passion for creating contemporary and innovative properties, he likes to help others learn how to create their own property projects. I am sitting here with my pen poised. I've been looking forward to meeting this man for quite some time. Evan Maindonald, welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Thank you, Sandra. It's, uh, Sandra, it's uh, good to be here. And that lovely accent originates from New Zealand. So tell us, what on earth attracted you to the UK uh, when you come from New Zealand? I think when I left New Zealand, um, my horizons were um, expanded. Um, I realised that there was a whole world out there that I hadn't explored. And I guess I just like, I like to explore things and I... I um, it wasn't so much a conscious decision to stay in the UK as as just a um, uh, a decision that that I you know wanted to do more, explore more, and see more of the world. And um, so I I love New Zealand. I get back there once a year. I think ideally I'd like to get to a point where I can spend six months there and six months here. But um, my business and my career, I, I guess, that I've built up over the last however long it's been since 1992 is in the UK, and so. Um, I, you know, the UK is a great place to travel from. Um, I love living here. So I, find, I, have two, I feel that I have two homes in a way. Okay, so tell us about family then. Uh, your, your background, uh, you obviously originate from a very beautiful part of the world, but what's life like for you in the UK, if you don't mind me asking, Evan? So um, I spend most of my time in Seven Oaks, um, well, and, and Seven Oaks in London. Um, I have a place out in Gloucestershire. I lived in Gloucestershire for 10 years. That's where I started the property development business. Um, I started that business in 2002. I'd lived in London for about 10 years at that point. So I decided to move out to the country. Um, and um, so I, now I spend my time um, between Gloucestershire and London. Uh, I'm probably in Gloucestershire 25% of the time. I'm in London um, maybe 60% of the time. And then the rest of the time I'm somewhere else. We have projects all over the country. Um, I travel quite a lot. So I, I move around a bit. How how does somebody with your background in technology suddenly decide to build a, an investment property portfolio, which is obviously, you know, some a very attractive numbers? And I suppose the other question is, uh, you talk about spending six months of your time here and six months in New Zealand, no one would blame you for that. But does that get a point? I'm just interested to know why you're still driven, because there must come a point where you go, well, you know, I've I've made my money, I can now sit back and enjoy it. But you still obviously, you still got a passion for what you do, you're still very driven still moving in a forward direction. But um, I suppose the, the obvious question is, how did you even get into this in the first place? And where did you see, first see that opportunity? Yeah, so that's a really good question. I think to pick up on something you just said, I love what I do. So to me, it doesn't seem like work. 
Um, and I think the reason that I started doing property development is I got, I got to a point in the technology industry where I was working for large companies. And I, and I really enjoyed that, by the way. I mean, I really enjoyed being in the technology industry. What I realized, though, and actually, interestingly enough, um, I realized it um, when I was put through an MBA program by a company that I worked for. I worked for British Telecom for a number of years in, in a, um, an international role. They put me through a, an MBA at a Swiss business school called IMD. And one of the uh, modules that we did on that MBA was about really about understanding how you work as an individual. And the thing that it brought home to me is that I actually work much better in an entrepreneurial environment th th than I do in a structured corporate environment. And so when I came back um, to BT after having completed that, that MBA, I looked for a role that allowed me to be entrepreneurial um, within the company. I couldn't find one. Um, I ended up jumping out in, into a technology startup um, actually near Bristol that I'd actually independently already made a, a, a decision to move out to Gloucestershire. Um, I got out of that technology startup after about a year. They'd raised a lot of money. They spent a lot of money very quickly. Um, and I, I got out with some money and I found myself at a, at a point where I needed to make a decision. I, do I start my own company or do I go, go back and work for somebody else again? Um, I had a good friend in New Zealand. I have a good friend in New Zealand who's a property developer, and I'd invested some money in some of his projects, and I was really inspired by what he did. And so I decided that I wanted to start my own company. I, I felt that if I didn't do it then, I'd never do it. I was 31 at the time, and I've never looked back. Um, I think the thing that it, it felt like jumping off a cliff. I think the the metaphor that you might have heard other people use is is, is jumping out of a plane and, and assembling assembling your parachute on the way down. Um, or jumping off a cliff and assembling the aeroplane on the way down. And it did feel a lot like that. Um, coming out of a corporate environment where I was earning a lot of money, being deposited into my, my account on a monthly basis, to going to a point where I didn't have any money unless I earned it, that was a very difficult transition. Um, but um, what it did do is it gave me a sense of freedom. And um, that sense of freedom, I think, is something that I, could, I just couldn't let go of now, um, being to some extent, the master of, of your own destiny. Actually, it's, it's interesting because when you start a business, you're not the master of your own destiny. You think you might think you are. Um, you've just got different masters. And um, But what you do have is you do have the freedom to make your own decisions. But what you also have is you have much greater responsibility. You can't leave your own company. Um, and Or if you do, there are, <laughs> there are fairly dire consequences. You can't leave your own company in the same way that you can leave a job. And so um, it, it, I guess in a, in a way, perhaps it requires you to grow up a little. And um, while those first few years I think were quite difficult, um, I really enjoyed them and I, I just love what I do. It doesn't feel like a job to me. Um, and so I just keep doing it. How do, you, um, how do you transition? I mean, we talked a little bit about your transition from the world of technology to property, but there's a lot of people listening and there's a great number of people listening to this podcast, I'm pleased to say. How how do you kind of get out of the starting blocks in life? Because there's loads of people out there with a good idea. There's loads of people that have got passion for what they do. There's loads of people that would say they're entrepreneurial, but there's very few people that move from this position of apathy to action. That's happened for you because you've built a fantastic business. How do you how do you kind of get out of the starting blocks? You've got a good idea, then then what next? You just have to try things and see what works. Um, I guess when I started the property development business, I had a fairly firm idea of what I wanted to do. So m my business is property development and investment. 
and the investment side of the business really feeds off the the property development side. So the portfolio of investment properties that I've got, that's largely either acquired um, through the property development business in some way. Either we, you know, we might take a property as a part exchange on a sale, or it's something that we've built ourselves and just decided to keep um, because it makes more financial sense to do so. So um, I think in a way. I guess when I started the property development business, I already had quite a bit of property experience. I'd bought a number of properties in the UK and I'd refurbished and sold them. I'd seen what my friend Michael had done in New Zealand with his business. So I had some some pretty fairly good ideas about what I wanted to do. It's a fairly well-established industry in the UK. Um, and I I had some fairly well-established um, financial skills because I, I'd, done a, um, I'd done accounting at school um, and at university. Um, I'd done an MBA. I'd worked in the corporate environment for a long time, so I already had a base of skills that I could rely on. Um, what I didn't have was a broad view across all of the functions of a business. So my background at that point was mainly marketing and sales focused, and so it's interesting. I've seen a lot of people do this. This when they start businesses, they come out of a particular function and they're really good at that thing in their own business, but they're really crap <laughs> at anything else. Mm. And what I've had to learn to do is become much more of an all-rounder. Um, and that process has been quite difficult in some ways. Um, you know, I think when you don't do particular things in a business well, they, they tend to come around and slap you on the back of the head. Hmm. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a quick learner and I, I, just, I, I just get on with things and get them done. Um, I've always been somebody who, um, throughout my life, I've set myself goals. And whenever I've reached those goals, I've always felt um, briefly euphoric and then quickly disappointed because I think, well, what do I do next? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I like to set myself challenging goals. And and for me, and I think for most people, actually, it's the process of getting to the goal that's the satisfying thing, not mm. the actual achievement of it. And if, I think if there's one thing that you learn in life, um, actually, um, you know, there isn't it's a it's a it's a process it's not a destination and i think if you're doing things if you continue to do things that are interesting and that satisfy you um there's nothing there, there is there's, there's really nothing better in life that's what happiness is about mm. for me now there's a lot of people who will have an idea of what a property company or property development company is but just for the uninitiated i've done my research so i know the answer to the next question but what exactly is Melt Homes? What do you do? Do you find a piece of land and build a physical property on it? Do you take a derelict property and renovate it? Do you, I mean, what, what is your what is your modus operandi? Do you have a kind of function as a business or does it kind of look yeah. at anything? Well, so one thing I should say is we've rebranded in the last, um, in fact, we rebranded in January to Melt Property. It's something we've been doing, thinking about doing for a while and it reflects the fact that our focus is now mostly on commercial development rather okay. than residential development. Yeah. So we still retain the Melt Homes brand. That's sack, we use sack that my for, researcher. You know, that's fine. Um, <laughs> when when we booked this, it was Melt Homes, so so she's fine. <laughs> Shows what a busy boy you are. Indeed, um, we move quickly, yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it reflects the fact that it, that that our focus is predominantly commercial now. Um, so I, I think it's what we do now is different to what we did when we first started. So yes, when we first started, um, or when I first started the company, we just we we bought places and refurbished them or converted them and sold them. And that was something that I had already been doing on the side on a small scale. 
it just moved from you know being refurbishments to more new build stuff. So the first the first one I did was a conversion of a large house into two houses, shop into two shops. There was a piece of land out the back. I got planning permission on that, and then I, then I sold the whole lot. I then teamed up with a local builder, and I did an eleven house development, uh, new build, which was actually quite a jump. Uh, it proved to be more of a jump than I'd anticipated, and that was pretty difficult. We had some issues that we had to work through, but we got through it, got it finished, turned into a very nice project in the end. I learned an immense amount through that. Um, ended up doing a number of um, new house builds and conversions, um, and in 2006, I bought a building in Gloucester Docks called the Lock Warehouse. Um, that was a, a grade two listed Victorian former grain warehouse, Got planning consent to convert that into 26 flats with 3,000 square feet of commercial space on the ground floor. But then the global financial crisis hit in 2008, so we had to sit on it. Luckily, we had a tenant. I'll say luckily. Um, it's not really luck. It's planning. Um, when we buy properties that are um, don't have a planning consent, we generally like to have income from them because it's pretty risky sitting on something and trying to get planning consent um, while you're paying interest because for fairly obvious reasons mm -hmm. um so actually that proved to work fairly well because interest rates ca came down quite dramatically in the global financial crisis and we built up a bit of an investment property portfolio by then so we had an income from that but we couldn't restart that development until, until 2011 so we, we developed that building out and finished it in 2013 and so i suppose that's a very brief um kind of um summary of you know what that period that i would call I call it the first hundred homes. Actually, uh, that's a phrase that um, my head, head, head of operations, Grace Ballantyne, came out with. But I, but I quite like it. Um, it kind of defines a phase in the company's existence because at that initial phase, we were more about just buying stuff and developing it. What we've now moved into doing is working with investors. So we work with equity partners. We got to a point where, so so up until that point, I'd grown the, the company pretty much with my own capital. I realized that actually to do the sort of larger scale projects that I had the ambition to do, I needed to work with investors. I needed to develop relationships with, with equity partners. Um, and our focus shifted a little bit in terms of um, development to looking at how we can enhance the value of sites through planning gain. So we, we were already doing a bit of that, but we've got a much stronger focus on how do we extract the most out of every site that we do. And so a good example of that actually is um, a development we're doing in Gloucestershire at the moment. It's a development of 12 new-built houses and the conversion of a school, former school building into, into seven flats. Um, when we bought that site, uh, it had planning consent for around about 12,500 square feet of development. With the planning consent that we ultimately ended up with, we've got about 25,000 square feet. So we've actually doubled the square footage of the development, which, which means that we've doubled the value of the of the development mm. and of the site and so actually um one of the things one of the, the the things that we've learned to do is to identify sites that have significant potential for a planning enhancement and then we focus on creating value by by doing that and it means that we get a lot more out of each site and i guess sort of stepping back from you know from a financial point of view that makes our business more sustainable and more profitable but it, but it's also better use of land resources, and uh, in a country where we have constraints on the amount of development that can take place, I think it's socially responsible to extract the maximum out of every site that's developed. You know, you shouldn't leave, you shouldn't develop things inefficiently, mm. because otherwise we're not making best use of the resources that we have. Um, and actually, 
that's also flipped into a strong focus on sustainability as well. Where did the uh, name Melt Homes or now Melt Properties come from? It's a funny old thing, actually. <laughs> I've started a number of companies in my life, and every time I start one, I've got to think of a name. So actually, uh, <laughs> it's just... <laughs> Nothing it's, more it's, complicated it's, it's, than no, that. No, I know. It really is. I just had to come up with a name. And so uh, it is actually my, my initials, ELM, with um, just mixed up with a T on it, so it's Melt. Got but, it. Okay. Yeah. So, so, but there's no thinking behind it, apart from yeah, oh, that. Great. Yeah, well, yeah. thanks for being so candid. Sure. Um, Taking one step back to something you said earlier, Evan, because I think this is quite important. You know, you you sit here today with me in the studio, and we're and we're talking to a very successful guy. Um, but you alluded to the fact that there were a few mistakes, challenges. I'm, again, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but you alluded to the fact that it hasn't been plain sailing. You know, financial crisis created its own set of challenges for you, but you've overcome all of those. How do you overcome? challenges, problems, obstacles, roadblocks, and all the other things that you inevitably have to deal with as part of running your own business? I think I think there's two things. Um, one is persistence. I am very, very persistent. Um, some people might call me tenacious. Other people might just call me stubborn. I don't, I don't know which it is. Um, they're two different sides of the same coin, I think. Um, but I just persist until I get see my way through something. Uh, it can lead you to be maybe a bit you know, being being too persistent, I think, can lead lead you to be too focused on a particular thing. And so, I, I think I'm also very good at stepping back and saying, "Am I doing the right thing?" I work out how to fix problems. If I don't know how to fix a problem, I I research, I work it out, I talk to people, and I just and then I persist. And um, I you know, it, it was very much that's very much how I got myself through the global financial crisis. That was a very difficult time. You know, I had banks wanting to call loans in, telling me that I should refinance them with somebody else. Who knew if they thought I would refinance refinance them with during the global financial crisis? Is you know, or sell properties to is is a is a is a, is a really interesting question. But you know, that was a, that was an odd old time. Um, but I do feel it's you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? Mm. And um, I think having made it through that time um, has given me a great a great resilience. Um, I, I don't really come across anything these days that I that I struggle with, and I think I think a lot of it is is sort of having been burned by the fire of of you know some of those difficult experiences mm. early on. Um, you know, it's just you know, on development. There's so much to know, and I mentioned that eleven house development that I did. I got a lot of things wrong on that, um, and I got I got them wrong because I didn't know what I what I needed to know. Um, this was in the days before the internet, before you know there were Facebook groups that you could go and ask people how to do X or Y on. Um, I got, you know, I didn't realise that on that development we actually needed to put an adopted road in, and so we we started building houses, and we had the highway authority come after us and serve a notice on us for a, for a bond. I didn't realise that was going to happen. We had a whole lot of stuff that happened that I just had to <laughs> I had to work out how mm. to deal with in retrospect. Um, that sort of stuff doesn't happen these days because because um, I do know what to expect, and um, because I, I, because I know what I'm doing. Um, so you learn through experience, mm. but, um, I guess when I started the company, I was much younger. Um, I had a different attitude towards risk. Didn't really, I felt like I didn't have a lot to lose. And so I just got on, got on and did, did things. I, I love, I love that comment actually, that you've just come out with, which is, you know, at, at a certain point in the past, you had a different attitude to risk because what we often get is people saying, oh, well, you know, what's the worst that could happen? But but for many people, the worst that could happen is you lose your house and you can't send the kids to school anymore, you know, whatever. So the fact is you've you've adopted a different strategy or position in terms of your your overall experience. 
I'm I'm particularly interested in speaking to you today. And the reason why I was so keen to have you as a guest is because you're not just a successful entrepreneur with, with all the wisdom you're sharing with us. I love the fact that you are so actively giving back to others. And I'm going to quote from your website, which says, you have a passion for helping others create their own projects, which make a positive impact in the world. The obvious question, Evan, is why help anyone else? Because you know, why don't you just focus on doing your own thing and making yourself even more money and becoming even more successful? It's interesting that you wish to give back. The question is why? I think by giving back, you get more, actually. Um, I also think that if you have to explain what you do, you get better at it. Um, and I actually love talking about what I do because I enjoy what I do. Um, and so if I can share knowledge about what I do with other people, um, it actually makes, it helps me articulate what I do better. Um, but I think also that there's an advantage in explaining what you do. And, um, that is that if people understand what you do, and I guess the internet these days, social media, YouTube, all those kind of communication media that didn't exist 20, 30 years ago, um, you can you can get what you know out there to a very wide community of people. And what that means is that, okay, you get a lot of people approach you with, with things that you, you know, you're not interested in, but you get some really well-targeted approaches um, because people understand what you do, things come to you. So a number of the people that work for me have approached me and said, actually, I love what you do. Can I come and work for you? And in fact, I've had people come come to me and say, can I work for you for free? Because I just, I want to get involved with what you do. And if it goes well, then, you know, we'll talk about a job. But um, so, you know, I've, I've had really good quality people come to me and want to work for me without being paid because they want to get involved in what I'm, what I'm doing because they're excited about what I'm, what I'm involved in. Um, I've had approaches from people who've bought us development sites um, who wouldn't have done so unless they could really, un they could understand at a very, very granular level what the sorts of things that we're interested in are. Um, I've, I've been approached by investors. I'm, I, I'm approached by lenders. So it just makes the conversations easier. And I think, you know, in a world that's increasingly busier and when you're building a business and you want to get things done quickly, um, it helps to be able to get from A to B quicker. I think the other thing that, um, you know, building, uh, you know, delivering knowledge and, and, and I guess getting, getting a bit of a reputation off and getting people to know about what you do online does is that it means that when you approach somebody who's in the industry, they already know who you are and mm. you don't, you don't have to go through that long explanation of who are you, what have you done? Just doors open quicker. So I suppose in a way it's a bit like a, a large company's brand. It enables a smaller company like us, a smaller entrepreneurial company to have the same sort of brand presence as a larger company. And it just, it, it, it helps the business work quicker. So, you know, there is a, in a way, a very, <laughs> a very selfish motive behind it. But, but with all of that said, I just love having these kind of conversations. Um, I love talking about what I do and I, and I, I do love explaining what I do. And, and I, I guess, you know, the other thing that people might worry about with this is, is what if a competitor, um, you know, learns all my secrets. I, I don't really have any concerns about that. I think, it just means that we have to be sharper. We have to stay sharper. We have to stay further ahead. And I think the other thing is no, nobody can replicate the the 20 years of experience that I have in property development overnight. They might listen to everything that I say, but it's not the same as having done it. Um, so, you know, however much anybody listens to the content, but and it, is, and it is very good content. You will learn a lot from it, but um, they're, they're not going to be in the same place that I am 
overnight. Mm. So I come to you, one of these people that you're you're helping, and I say to you, Evan, okay, uh, and I, I just want to make it clear to all those listening out there, these podcasts are not pre-rehearsed. We don't have a conversation before we start talking. This is like two guys in this particular case, down the pub or bar, having a beer and having a chat. Um, so I'm sorry if this question puts you on the spot a little bit, but I'm, mm. you know, I'm a bit... I'm a bit green, but I want to try and build a business like that, like you've created. So I want to emulate Evan Maindonald in this particular case. And I say to you, you know, what would be your three top tips for getting started in terms of building my own property empire as you've done? If there are three, I don't know. Yeah, no, I, th- I think, I think my first one would be, be prepared to be patient. Property is a long-term game. You know, if you want to be in property development, you need to be prepared for your first project to probably take two years um i don't think i've done a project that really from end to end you know from when i've seen the property to to acquisition to building it out to 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 sale you know 18 months would be would be the absolute quickest Mm. you could think of unless it's a small refurb or something um so you need patience but i think you need patience in any business um i think the other thing i'd say is learn as much as you can because um for me property development is primarily around about risk management. So what we focus on is de-risking projects. There are so many things that could potentially go wrong. You really need to dot the I's and cross the T's. Um, and these days with the amount of, of resource available online, there's no excuse to not know things, to not do your research, but, but you do need to do the research and you need to listen to what people have to say. So, um, and, and I guess thirdly, you know, don't try and do too much too quickly. Start with smaller things. Don't do a project that's so big that if um, you, if it goes wrong, it's, it's going to take you down. Mm-hmm. You need to do things that are within your own financial capability. I think, you know, my advice to anyone considering getting into property development would be start slowly. Just, you know, don't try and do too much too quickly. And that way you'll build a, a business that will survive in the long term. Mm-hmm. You mentioned a couple of times now, I believe Grace was the lady you mentioned. Yeah. You've clearly got a great team around you. How important are teams or your team in this particular case, Evan, uh, in terms of your own personal success? Um, super important, actually. Um, I think it's the thing that's transformed us. I, I talked earlier in the podcast about how we transformed the business since 2013. That is really the key element of that transformation. It's building a team. It's building it into a proper company rather than it just being me and a couple of other people. I think it's um, in the last year in particular, I've I've focused very strongly on building a team and I've got a really strong team of people. Um, Grace um, is young, very smart, um, very capable um, and um, wants to go on and do her own property development projects. and that's something that I encourage. I think if people who want to work for us eventually want to leave and do their own thing, then I'd like to think that we'd support them in doing that and work with them rather than just having them leave and go off and and, and depart forever. Um, I've got a guy called Kunli Barker who um, is a really interesting guy in and of, of himself. You might know Kunli. He's done a, a bit, of, bit of stuff on TV. He's my head of design and delivery. Um, he's done a lot of work with Kevin McLeod on Grand Designs. Um, and what he's really good at is understanding how to um, how to use design to add value to, to properties, and, and he's also very strong on the delivery side of things. Mm. A lady called Zoe Allen, who's my head of marketing, she's very strong on digital marketing. 
Uh, and I've got a couple of development managers, um, one in London and one in, in, in Gloucestershire. So, um, and plus finance team down in, in Kent. So I've got a, I've got a really strong team, but, um, and so I think the next 12 months for us is going to be very exciting because we've, we've built that team and it, it's good. It's good. It's gives us, it gives us a platform to start growing the business, um, beyond really where we are now. One of the things I've learned today about you, Evan, is that you're an annoyingly good boss. You know, not only uh, do you have people offering to work for you for free. I mean, if you wanted a tip for all those listening, um, there's a great way to overcome the the, uh, the national minimum wage. Uh, you've also got people that you know clearly are doing great things within your business who you're actively encouraged to go off and do their own thing, which is very unusual. There's not many bosses that uh, that take that uh, that approach, but clearly it's very very successful. Now, I, look, I I totally. Uh, support what you say because i think it's very important to develop talent within rather than try and you know uh, corner them and, and limit their their potential well so, i think sorry can i just yeah, say absolutely really, can. i yeah. think this is really important i really strive to create an environment where people are having fun and enjoying themselves and so i think my job is to make melt homes a more interesting place to work or melt property a more interesting place to work than anywhere else and so for me that's how i, re- I want to retain people because they love their jobs so much that they don't want to do anything else. Mm. Your some of your projects have involved crowdfunding, uh, which mm. is which is kind of an interesting take on the on the property development slant. So, um, what would you say, or, or what's your 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 um, your experience of um, crowdfunding in terms of some of your project, and what are the obvious advantages if there are any? Crowdfunding is a really interesting phenomenon. Um, it it fit, fills space in property equity. Which really there has there was there was until it arose there was there was a gap in. Um, I mean, property crowdfunding is available for debt and for equity, but for me the most the most interesting thing is equity. And what I mean by equity is it's the money that you would otherwise have your own you'd have to put into the project as your own cash. Um, so the property equity space is fairly well established, but um, if you if you want to raise equity for a property development project, if you go to you know the professional property equity providers, generally that you're looking at minimum investment levels of, of one to two million pounds, which means you have to be looking at a project which is probably, you know, 15, 20, 30 million pounds in size. And for developers, any developer that's starting out or even a developer that's been going for a couple of years, that's probably a little bit too big. So um, you've got this sort of gap for smaller developers where they could um, grow their businesses if they had access to equity. And one of, one of the constraints that every property developer is going to hit is, is lack of equity. Um, you need equity to grow a property business. Um, if you match that with investors, and there's a lot of people out there who have money, um, particularly in, 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 um, um, in SAS pensions, who are just looking for somewhere to put it for a better return than, than you might get on a, on a, you know, in the bank or, or on, a, on a fairly basic investment, um, then the, that creates an opportunity. And so we've worked very closely with a crowdfunding platform called Crowd With Us um, on a number of projects. We raised, we did, we did our first raise actually on a, on a project in Hythe and Kent. Um, it'd be like two, two and a half years ago now. So we raised 200,000 pounds on that as, as a sort of a test. That didn't quite go the way that we expected. Um, so we started tuning and, and, and tweaking the process. So we then did another raise in mid-2018. Um, we did a small raise. So that, that first raise took us eight weeks and we raised most of it from people we knew already. So we we thought, okay, this is not going to work. Gonna work. We went back to the drawing board, tweaked what we did. 
We then did a subsequent raise. We raised £130,000 on, on this project, again, as a sort of a second test. We raised that in 18 hours. So um, we knew that we'd, we'd kind of um, worked out how to do that. We then went on to raise £1.4 million in equity on, on the project we're doing in, in Gloucester at the moment. And so, um, yeah, we have used crowdfunding to to fund our projects and to grow our business. Although, interestingly, I think by the time we started using it, we'd already kind of got to the to the point where we 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 could work with um, professional equity providers, and it sort of led to us starting to work with professional equity providers. So we then we then did a joint venture on a um, a project that we're working on at the moment in Clapham Road and Kennington, um, and that was done with a with a private equity fund. Well, actually, a, f- a family office that have their own private equity fund. They put six million pounds into that project. And so we've now sort of leapfrogged from doing crowdfunding to actually focusing on much larger projects with equity partners. But I do think for any developer that's been in the business for you know three, four, five years, has a bit of experience, has has reached the limits of their own equity, um, that crowdfunding is a good option. And we we would certainly look at it for smaller projects um, going forward. Mm. Where it really fits is is if you want to raise you know less than two million. Um, there are some equity providers around that'll do one a million pounds plus, but um, I think it it creates an option for developers who who um, want to raise equity and stay in control of their own projects that didn't really exist before the crowdfunding industry grew up. Fantastic. So, last couple of questions, if I may. First one: How do we find out more about Evan Maindonald? What a great name that is, by the way. <laughs> I've never come across a Maindonald, and I don't think I've come across too many Evans either. Uh, so, how do we find out about you? Melt Properties. There must be a website, presumably. And are yeah. you a social media guy? Yeah, I'm all over social media. Okay. So Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. If you Google Melt Property, you'll find us or Melt Homes. If you Google me, Evan Maindonald, um, I've got my own website, maindonald.com. Um, I've got a YouTube channel. So yeah, putting putting out. And in fact, I am going to be launching my own podcast at some point. Soon. Are you? Okay. So, yeah. Which will be, which is a which is a property focused podcast about how to do property development. Cool. Okay. Well, we'll look out for that, and obviously, let me know when that happens, and we'll we'll uh, drop a note on this uh, on this podcast for you. Thank you. So the final question, as you know, the probably the one thing you do know about this podcast. Evan or even, uh, which is you say it much much better than I do. No, no, no. You you say you say it better. That's my, that's my, that, you say it the way I want to say it. That's my accent. Isn't it funny? We always want what we can't have. I I, I feel the opposite way around. I can't so, say properly. So the final question is, you know, if I was a younger version of you and I came to you and I said, okay summarizing for me everything you know, all of that amazing experience, good and bad along the way. Uh, what few words of wisdom could I ask you for that would kind of set me on my way to greater success, whatever that looks like in the future? I think, you know, the one thing that has really worked for me and I think uh, is is great advice to anyone younger, don't be afraid to experiment when you're young. You know, you've got time to make mistakes. You've got time to cock things up. Just get out there and do stuff. And I think focus on what you're passionate about. Focus on what you love doing. Um, I think that the key for me is having got out of the technology, I love the technology industry, by the way, but the thing that I love about property development is I'm doing something tangible. You know, when I finish a project and I create something that's a really nice looking building and I I can step back and look at it and say, I was responsible for that. It just gives me a great feeling of satisfaction. And so I think find that thing that really gets you excited and then it won't seem like work. So at the end of the day, I think the key to, to success in life is actually being happy. So mm-hmm. if you can just do something that you enjoy and you're happy doing it, doesn't the money doesn't really matter. Um, 
And if you do, and if you if you're that passionate about it, you're going to be much better at it than anyone else. So I think find your passion and focus on it. Great answer. You've even dealt with the uh, the mysterious what is success as well in that in that final answer. Um, all I can say, and I, there was a reason I was looking forward to speaking with you today, Evan, uh, and I've just heard it all in the last 30, 35 minutes. So on behalf of everyone listening, thank you so much for sharing so openly and candidly. Uh, It's been very refreshing speaking to you today. And I know everyone has picked up a a great deal from what you've had to say. So thank you very much indeed. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Sandro. So thank you for joining us once again on the Sandro Forte podcast. Wasn't Evan even absolutely terrific? Every week, don't forget, we have a new guest joining us to share their own insights, just as Evan has done to achieving success or overcoming life challenges. So please make sure you subscribe. Check him out as well, by the way. Follow us on social media, Sandro's podcast. Don't forget, it's the S in the middle. People forget it even now. If you want to email us with a question, it's hello at sandrospodcast.com. Please remember two other things to connect with me, Sandro Forte. It's the real Sandro Forte on Instagram. And please leave those reviews on iTunes. Until this time next week and another great guest, goodbye for now. Thank you.